Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, May 1st, 2022. Today's sermon is from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 to 12. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org. Click the current sermons link at the top and click today's main script. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. So this is our third sermon, my third sermon on really from verses 9 to 12 on the, the topic of assurance. So next week, I'm, I haven't decided yet, um, it'll still fall into assurance, of course, when we go to verses 13 to 20, um, but that's where we'll be next week. But today, as we come to part three on assurance, <clears throat> I I get this really from the entire section, but look at verse 11 particularly. This is the, the writer's desire. And we desire, each one of you, so this is us today, so the word to us, we desire that each one of you to show the same earnestness to have what? The full assurance of hope until the end. And so that's where I get the topic of assurance. And that's where we'll be again today. So with that in mind, let's, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. And then we'll go from there. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us with these words this morning. Your word is living, powerful, active. And so Father, help us. May these words pierce us. May the preaching aid that. And may truth be given and may we proclaim the beauties of Christ father even as we take the Lord's Supper today I pray that he would increase that we that I would decrease father as always in spite of me pray that you'd work work in our in my preaching and help us father in Jesus name we pray amen As we, again, come to this, the, this topic of, of assurance, um, it comes right after, if you remember from the first part of chapter 6, on some very serious, very difficult words in some ways on the topic of apostasy. These, wa- these are a warning. These were a warning. They are a warning to us as we think about our own salvation this morning. That's what I want us to think about. But as we come off of those verses, we think about our salvation and we should think about our own salvation. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, we read, Therefore, brothers, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So he's talking about practicing some kind of qualities. Paul says to the Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize that this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. That's 2 Corinthians 13.5. Brothers and sisters, these verses that I just read from 2 Peter and 2 Corinthians are all in the context, and the verses from today are all in the context of good works. Even back in Hebrews 6, the author is encouraged because of their works. Look at verses 9 and 10. He says, 
Though we speak in this way, in the way of this, these words with apostasy there, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. For God is not, so, <clears throat> is not unjust so as to overlook your, what, what does he say there? Your work. And we preached a whole sermon on that a couple weeks ago. How God can accept our works in Christ. But still, it's works. And the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints, as you still do. Jesus says, you will know a tree by its fruits. Therefore, we, we need this text today as we consider our own lives and our obedience to Christ. So with this in mind, I have three truths before us that come from this text as we take the Lord's Supper today. And they have to do with Full assurance. So here I'm going to go ahead and give them to you. Truth number one. Full assurance is displayed in works of love directed at the people of God. So that's number one. Number two. Full assurance is displayed in works of love for God. That's number two. And finally, full assurance. In other words, we can have assurance. Full assurance is displayed in works that... Continue all the way until the end. So let's begin with number one. Full assurance, or we, we could word this a different way, but we have assurance. Full assurance is displayed in works of love directed towards the people of God. Look at verse 10. For God is not unjust, is not <clears throat> so as to overlook your work. And what? And the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints. Here the author takes notice of their good works in the ways that they serve one another. So how do we serve one another? In the body. That's what this is about. And this is in the context of assurance. As he considered those who fall away in verses 4 to 6 as we've seen. He says, hey, I've seen your works and I have some assurance here and so should you because your works and the way you serve one another and love one another in the body, it is continuing. I have good assurance of this for you. But let's recall just for a moment the warning passages of Hebrews before we move any further. Look back at verse 9 of chapter 6. Excuse me. Let's go back all the way to chapter 2, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Here's a warning. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away. Chapter 2, verse 3. Look there with me. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Chapter 3, verse 8. Do not harden your hearts. Chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you any, any, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Chapter 4, verse 1. Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Talking about rest in Christ. Chapter 4, verse 11. Let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And then chapter 6. Verses 4 to 6, we see perhaps the greatest warning and consequence 
For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the ages to come, and then having fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, holding Him up to contempt. Brothers and sisters, these are the most serious warnings. And we're going to see more in the book going forward. And as I've stated, these are gracious warnings to us that we not fall away. And I believe that these are means that God uses in our lives to keep us moving down the road to heaven. But we must remember, as I move back to our topic on assurance, that one of the reasons the author believes that they are not those who are going to fall away is because of their works, particularly how they serve one another in love. And one of the reasons he has confidence, as we've seen, is because he sees the work of, of the Lord, the work of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. In what way? Well, it's in the way they serve one another. I think of Paul's words to the Thessalonians. He says, we give thanks to you, church at Thessalonica. Could he say the same of us? We give thanks to you always, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering you before our God and Father. We remember your work of faith and labor of love. So when someone looks at grace, would they say, wow, we remember their works. We remember how they love one another. And because of that, we go, wow, what, what a salvation is ahead of them. And he, even continuing these verses, Paul says to the Thessalonians, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He's chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. One of the things that you know about a church, if there are good works good works that are works of faith, founded in Christ, is power that comes through the Holy Spirit. And here, Paul has confidence, and so our author now has confidence in their salvation. Now, before we apply this truth, I want us to notice the, the truth that they're working works of love, or works together there, serving one another. Before we apply that, I want us to just spend a moment thinking about their motive behind their works one to another. The, as we look at this text, verse 10, these are, what kind of works are they? They're works of love. And this is so important for us. Here we see in this text a clear example, a clear motive of love behind their works. And, and I say that because there is a such a thing, and listen to me carefully, as works without love. There is such a thing. In order to maybe give an example, what if I were to, having been being married to Kristen almost how many years? 29 this year? And what if being married to Kristen that I were to bring her roses every month for a whole year. How cool would that be? And just keep bringing the roses, and maybe even do it a second year, month after month after month. But all the while, as I'm bringing the roses, I'm thinking to myself, what a good hubby I am. Have you ever done that? Of course you have. 
because that's just the way we are. We, we do that. But I would think, man, what a good husband I am to her. I'll bet the rest of those husbands out there are not bringing their wives flowers every month. And then I think, I hope that she takes notice of this and she knows what a wonderful husband she has because of these flowers that I bring her. And maybe in the process of bringing the flowers as well, I even tell her from time to time that I love her. But all the while, who I really love is myself. On the outside, I look pretty good to those who do not bring roses to their wife every month. I might look pretty good. So do you see how maybe I could be doing some type of work all for myself and not a motive of love for my wife? I just give that as, as somewhat of an example. Well, let's keep going with this a little bit further. <clears throat> what if, in the process of this, as I'm bringing her roses, I ask her, hey, honey, how you doing? How you doing this week? What's going on in your life today and yesterday? And what's going on in your life this week? How can I pray for you this week as your husband? How can I serve you better? And in my heart, all I'm thinking about those roses is, you know what? Those roses are just a drop in the bucket of my love for you. And I'm thinking that. And there are a million of other things that, that no one sees. And I'm not necessarily saying this about myself. I'm saying this about a husband out there who loves his wife. Although I, I do love my wife. But what if this husband is doing all the million things that nobody sees? Such as taking care of, helping take care of the kids. Helping around the house. Dealing with unseen issues that, that your wife doesn't particularly like to take care of. Look, Pam's putting her hand on Greg's. Because Greg's a good husband. <clears throat> Sometimes we get moments like that, Pam. It is what it is. Sorry. And some of you are very good husbands out there. But you think about that in all the things that you do for your wife. Well, so let me ask you this. Wives, which husband do you want? The one that just brings you flowers for yourself, for himself? Or do you want this other one that maybe never brings you flowers? Or hardly ever says that he loves you? Which one do you want? So how do you know your husband's love for you, wives? How do you know that his love goes deeper than himself? Well, husbands, I promise you this, that your wife would rather have a sinful man with all his faults, but one who loves her deeply than a husband who looks good on the outside. And then when he comes to church and he appears before God's people and even the world, is a different person. And you know what? When this happens, how much assurance, when, 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 it, when it happens that, that you've got a good husband that loves his wife, how much assurance is this wife going to have that her husband loves her? It's going to be really high, isn't it? And how much assurance is the husband going to have in his relationship with his wife there as well? Well, in the same kind of way, 
works of love to one another is one of the ways that we, we can find assurance of our salvation. And so, brothers and sisters, these words are for us. And they are a test, even as we examine ourselves this morning. Doesn't the Bible tell us as we take the Lord's Supper in a minute? Examine yourselves as you come to the table. Make sure, make sure you are in Christ. <clears throat> when we think about our works, and we think about the motive behind the works, this great truth is merely an extension of the command to love your neighbor as you love yourself. <clears throat> we are not just, you know, good old boys out there. Of course we love sinners in this world and we do good works to our neighbors, but we're, we're not just good old boys. We are Christians who have the Spirit of God in us. And we begin with our family, which is the church of God. That's us. And so let me ask you, when you think about serving here in the body, those sitting right beside you, particularly for us, the way we're set up, in your home groups. Here's some questions. Do you sacrifice the things you want to be with God's people and to serve them in ways of love? It's a good question for us. Do you desire, more than anything else, to be with God's people? That's always a question we must ask. Are you regularly looking for ways to do good within this body? These are questions that we must ask ourselves. And this is one way we examine ourselves this morning as we take the Lord's Supper. And one more quick application. Doing good one to another is also a means to evangelism. I get this from the statement from the Bible, they will know you are Christians by your love. And so how know we love one another? by the way, we treat one another. And who are they? They are those on the outside who look in and wonder, why are you doing this? And this gives us an opportunity. People ask, why do you do what you do in the body of Christ? Why do you attend, hang out with those people and skip these other things that are going on? Why do you bring meals to them? Why do you show up at the hospital when they are sick? Why do you give up your money and sacrifice to go and give to the people of God? And you say, well, because the Lord Jesus gave up His glory by taking on flesh. Glory had before, foundation of the world. Took on flesh, and what did He do? To come here, Philippians 2. <clears throat> Have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So that's, that's the longest truth we have this morning from my sermon. But we know, we can have assurance. There's a connection to how we serve one another in love. Number two. Full assurance is displayed in works of love for God. Look again at verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love you've shown for His name in serving the saints. So here the author is saying, I see your love for God. And this is why you serve the saints. Here he goes right to the heart. Because love for God is the fountain from which all of our good works flow. That's why it's not about just getting out and doing things. Lots of preaching today says, just, let's just do this, and let's do this, and let's apply this, and let's do this. And those are all well and good. And we should be doing. 
But brothers and sisters, personally, and I, I don't think I'm wrong on this, but as a preacher who preaches week in, week out for the most part, I really believe if you get the gospel in your heart and you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you're going to be a good husband. You're going to be a good wife. You're going to be a good neighbor. You're going to be a good church member. And so that's why I preach the gospel and the power of the gospel to change our lives. When, when I probably fail on applying things and even leading and equipping the body for the work of the ministry in that way. But I, I hope to do better. But at the end of the day, we will, we will go out and we will do what's right because of what? Love for God at the end of the day. Luke records a story when a lawyer, a scribe there in the days of when Jesus was, was on the earth, comes to him to test him and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replies, what is written in the law? How do you understand it? It's interesting. He's going back to the law of Moses. What, what's there? What do you, how do you see that written? And Jesus is getting to something real important. And boy, the answer is spot on from this lawyer. He says, this is what the man answers to Jesus. Here's what the law says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And what did Jesus answer him? I think he said, I don't know how he, how he answered, but he said, <clears throat> go and do this and you will live. Application. If you want to love your neighbor properly, if you want to love one another in the body of Christ, you and we must love God first. I've already said this. This is the motive of why we do, do good things to other people. And when this happens, this takes place in our lives, then, according to this text, I believe we can have full assurance. So let me ask, how do you know you love God? Well, I'm just going to mention two ways. We've already come, gone, done this already in these sermons, but I will remind us. Number one, so how do you know that you love God? Number one, He is your first desire. All the allegiances in this world, all of the idols, all the things we want, all the things we desire, they must come down here. He must be our desire. And we know that. We know that. Because we put Him first. That's how one way we know we love God. And then secondly, as just going to mention it, we love, we do good works to the people of God. This is just the law and the commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And two, love your neighbor as yourself. And it starts here in the body of Christ. So these two truths are vital to our assurance of salvation. Do you love God? Is this your motive for all that you do? And further, do you love your neighbor as yourself, starting with our brothers and sisters in grace, at grace? With that in mind, right now in the middle of this sermon, I would like for Greg if he could pull up our church covenant together. So this is a good way to apply these first two truths. And all we're going to do is read it together as we think about this, as we take the Lord's Supper in a moment, and as we examine ourselves. So if you would, just read along with me. 
having been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we joyfully and with the utmost seriousness now enter into covenant with one another as one body of Christ. We acknowledge our dependence upon God and the Bible, that we constantly need the assistance of the Holy Spirit, especially in fulfilling this covenant. Now, therefore, in the presence of God, by His grace, we commit ourselves to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We will walk together in Christian love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We will pray for one another, serve one another, giving preference to one another in honor, and seek after that which is good for one another. We will bear one another's burdens in all humility, and accept one another as the Lord has accepted us. We will affectionately care for, watch over, and faithfully admonish one another as God gives us opportunity. We will strive to live as Christ in the world and denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We will seek to fulfill our calling to lead a holy life, to be salt and light, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We will guard our tongues not speaking evil or complaining against one another, avoiding all gossip, not lying to one another, but instead speaking words that admonish one another. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but faithfully attend the church's meetings for corporate worship, prayer, study, and fellowship, and will use our spiritual gifts for the common good. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We will faithfully participate in the ordinances of the church and endeavor after unity of mind in doctrine. We will both submit to the church's discipline upon ourselves and lovingly assume our responsibility to participate in the discipline of other members as taught in Scripture. We will abstain from all practices which bring unwarranted harm to the body or jeopardize our own faith or the faith of others. We will practice personal and family worship to train our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We will be witnesses for Christ, seeking the salvation of our family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, acquaintances, and all the world. We will, when we move from this place as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's Word. That's our covenant. For those of you who are visiting with us, we, we, we try to read that about four times a year. Maybe, I'm not sure how many times we do it, but about that time as we take the Lord's Supper together. But let me mention one more thing here before moving on about as we shift our attention back to works of love for God and love for our fellow brother and sister. We must always remember... And bring to mind that we love God. Why? Because He first loved us. We've already spoke about this in especially Sermon Part 1 on assurance. But God loved us. He chose us from before the foundations of the world. And why do we, how do we know that He loved us? Because He sent His Son objectively. Came, took on 
flesh. This is what we remember today. And we know that He loved us, for God so loved the world. This sinful world of which we are a part. He is the friend of sinners, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. If you would, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to make a few comments here in these verses along this truth that we love God and we love one another because He first loved us. 1 John chapter 4 verse 19. We love because He first loved us. Now, go back to verse 7. 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. And it's always good to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. So that's what I'm doing now as we come to the, our text on assurance. This is a good commentary on what we are talking about today. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been, what? Born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. So if we love God and we love one another with, with the right motive, we can have great assurance very clearly. Let's move on now to... To number three. Full assurance is displayed in works that continue. Look again at verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you've shown for His name in serving the saints. As what? As you still do. So I think this author is looking at their life and he's saying, I've seen what you've been doing in the past and I'm seeing what you're still doing now. So there's a connection between our assurance and works that continue, and these are works that continue all the way to the very, very end. Think back of my example of bringing flowers to Kristen. <clears throat> what if over time I stop bringing your flowers? <clears throat> Which I don't do that very often anyway, and so this may not indicate whether I love her or not, and we've already established that. But what if I were to stop serving her as I did at one time? What if I were to become more distant from Kristen? Start spending more time away from her with friends, away from the house? What if I stop asking her, what, how are you doing, honey? How can I help you? Or I stop asking, you know, what can I do to serve you? <clears throat> what if I were to start looking at other women? Casually or 
on the internet besides my wife. Or even further, I see my affections moving to other things and maybe someone else besides her or even having an affair. So let me ask you this. If this were to happen in my life, or if this were to happen, particularly husbands or wives, in your life, what assurance could you have that you love your wife? What confidence there would there be in my marriage? What assurance would I have that my relationship was good with her? Well, if that were to happen, the opposite would be true. My works, in the end, would reveal my heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart, Jesus says, comes evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Out of the heart, the, the person moves away from his spouse. <laughs> At the end of the day, I always tell my kids, we do what we want to do. At the end of the day, we do what we want to do. And you can apply that ever how you want to apply that. We do what we want to do. The Bible says, as far as works that continue, though, works that continue to the end. He who endures to the end will be saved. And so there's a great connection between our assurance of our salvation and the works that continue. And we've seen those works today. So, let me end with some applications. And I've got a few here. But if one application is this. If you are today here and you're listening to my words, if you are living in habitual sin, you will have little if no assurance of your salvation. It's just true. On the contrary, the Puritan Anthony Burgess says this. A man or a woman, a man who lives in the habit of serious sins should be assured that he is presently in a damnable condition and will be so long as he or she lives in that way. So if you are here today and you are regularly involved in some of these sins that even I've mentioned, and I haven't mentioned anger and hate towards a neighbor or all kinds of impatience, things that we just toss off in our culture and say, those, those sins are okay. They're not okay. And I, I, I'm putting them all there. It just seems that some sins too, in our minds are, they have greater consequences here on how you see them and how they affect us in, in our culture. But if you are regularly involved in sexual sin and you name the name of Christ, these words are a warning to you. Husbands, wives, if you are in constant neglect one of another, and, you, but, and the Holy Spirit's shown you that, and you still continue down that road. That's the thing, and we could get off on a lot of other issues and say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That's for another day. Children, are you regularly, continually disobeying your parents? This is, this is sin. 
All of us today, do we love the things of this world more than we love the things of God? Now, we can apply this as individuals, but we can also apply this as a church. If this church, this body here at Grace, is not a place of good works as we serve one another in love, as we serve one another from a motive of love to God, and it's not a place where we see good works, what kind of assurance could we have? Just go and read the seven churches of Revelation and see what the Holy Spirit says to those seven churches. Of course, five of them has some things, tells them to repent, which is always our answer. Repent and look unto Christ. But if these things are evident here, then what evidence do we have that we are a good, healthy church? If we do not have works of love one to another out of a motive for God and works that continue to the end, very clearly. So with these things in mind, I want to end today by mentioning that that today's sermon, so hold with me for about five more minutes, okay? Today's sermon, in some ways, was very subjective. When you talk about good works, it's... In some ways, yeah, we can see our good works, but the problem is we can't really get to the heart, can we? That's the problem. That's why it's very subjective. In other words, assurance of our salvation is connected to our works, and it's hard to see the motive. And though examining our works is helpful, and it it is very helpful to examine our works, and by the way, in parentheses, we must constantly look at what we are doing, as we name the name of Christ, and this is very helpful, this can be very subjective. One reason, because we always look pretty good when we come to church, and we always talk about our good works, we don't usually talk about our bad works. So it can be very hard, or it can be difficult to gauge our assurance, because only God, and and we know our heart, I would argue God knows our heart more than we do, but we know our hearts, but God knows the heart. But as we've seen in the previous two sermons on assurance, there is an objective ground to our assurance. So today, this, this is very subjective. Now, there is an objective ground. So what I'm doing now is I'm comparing the two. Subjective grounds, objective grounds for our assurance. And so what is the objective ground of our insurance? When you come in here today, how do you know that you're saved from the objective point of view? Well, taking the Lord's Supper. We have assurance because of the gospel of Christ. This is what we remember this morning. We have assurance this morning, first and foremost, because God cannot lie. And God has done what He said He's going to do, and He sent His Son to die on the cross. The Son of God took on flesh. He lived. He died. He rose again. And now, after making purification for our sins, where does He sit? The right hand of God. This is very objective. Even when you think about the life and death and resurrection of Christ, very objective. We can go and read history. We can see when we get a book full of stories that are true of history, very objective. So that's the objective ground. So we look and we say God chose us from before the foundations of the world. And then we know He did that because He sent His Son. We're here today. We're taking the Lord's Supper. And now we have the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This is very Objective. And so if on this side of the objective side, what you say today to know that you have assurance, you just say, wow, I know whom I've believed. 
And I'm convinced that God is able to guard until that day what He has entrusted to me. In this way, our faith, your faith, is not subjective. It's based on the historical truths of the gospel. So do you see these two different ways of describing assurance? One, we have assurance because it's subjective. We have assurance because it's subjective. They go together. We've made the good confession. At the same time, how do you know you've made the good confession? Know a tree by its fruit. These two grounds must go together as we consider our assurance. So let me ask. This is where it gets personal. As we think about applying this to our own lives, our own doubts. As a Christian, do you ever look at your works or your lack of works and doubt your salvation? I'll have to say, yes. That's why we have these words. That's why I'm preaching on assurance. So as you wrestle with sin, sin in your own life, do you wonder if you can just, can you hang on? I do. I do from time to time. Or maybe some of these sins that I've held out there, maybe you haven't been a Christian very long. Maybe you're, you, you see yourself not realizing something sinful, and all of a sudden you hear the preaching of the Word, and you go, yeah, that's sinful. But what, what, what if you are in a time of, of backsliding? You are, even as Hebrews say, you're, you're, you're drifting away a little bit. And then you look at your works when you hear a sermon like this, and you go, oh, I doubt. Well, <laughs> I would say, if that's you, and you're doubting, I would say, look at the objective truth of the gospel. I know whom I believed. I know Jesus died for my sins. And God has chosen me before the foundations of the world. And now He's fulfilled His promise. Started from Genesis 3.15, all the way down, the gospel has come. So I would say to you, as a Christian, if you're falling away, repent. Repent. Turn from that and say, by God's grace. God, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against man. By your grace, I don't want to do that anymore. And I want to move on. <laughs> and then there's the objective grounds of your salvation. And then what happens? Then the works then follow. We'll always have that. This is what we have in the picture of the Lord's Supper. And what a beautiful means of grace to know that when we sin, we have an advocate. One who has made propitiation for our sins. Let me ask another question. What if you've drifted much further even than just backsliding? And you today, you find that over the past years, you just come to church and you really don't think about such things. Maybe your family wants you to come. And you've really moved away. And you don't really think much about Christ. Or maybe in the last year, you haven't picked up your Bible very often. I don't know. What if you find yourself normally cheating on your income taxes? Or you've had some type of an affair or some type of action on the internet. Or you find yourself involved in, in as we've said, great uh, sexual sins. And then what if you've, you've heard the sermon today on good works and you find very little of them and your motive is not love for God's people? 
Well, I would say to you, I don't know your heart, but I would say the same to I would say to a Christian. Repent and look unto Christ. He has not changed. But at the same time, I would tell you that you're not going to have assurance unless your works line up with the Bible. And I would say to you also, repent. And at the same time as a pastor, I must be careful not to just say to you, as I think about, and, and as pastors, we know the sins of our congregation. We know our own sins. And I know yours, believe it or not. People talk, and we know we've been together for how many years? Some of us, many, many years. And I must not be too careful for those of you who I know are living in sin to say, hey, it's okay. Christ died for your sins. You have an advocate in heaven. Don't worry about your sins too much. Just come back, take the Lord's Supper. Christ died for your sins. I must confess, I'm afraid I do that more. And we do that in our culture more. To excuse our own sin and our own love for the world. We like justification because our standing is right. But what about sanctification? The Holy Spirit is given to us, brothers and sisters. We are justified, really, through the power of the Holy Spirit. As we are regenerated, called, regenerated, believe, we're converted. We look, un, look under Christ and we believe. And now there is now the, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We like that because when we think of our sins... But what about the attitude of our sins along with? That's where it gets very subjective. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is given not only to, to take care of the sin problem, but it is given to us to kill sin that we might move forward in godliness. And so I had to, to say that this morning because I think personally I'm always, yeah, Christ died for your sins, let's just excuse them. We cannot excuse sin. The Bible says, God says, be holy as I am holy. And you can do with this what you wish this morning. And I know these are, this was a very serious sermon and, and longer I, than, than it normally is as we take the Lord's Supper together. But these things are pastorally, have, the Lord has laid a lot of these things on my heart the last couple of weeks in particular because I'm concerned with my own heart. I'm concerned with my own sin. And I, and I see what God says to me to do. And I do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit and fall away and drift away as we're seeing in Hebrews. And so pastorally, this is for me. And it is for us this morning. And so at the end of this, as I just recall our three truths on assurance, and we'll touch on it again next week, but we can have full assurance if we are serving one another in love. Number two, if, we, if our, our motive for our works is, is, is love for God. And three, if our works continue. And at the end of the day, as we take the Lord's Supper, one of the things I love Martin Luther, when he nailed his theses to the door there at Wittenberg, number one out of 95, I'm going to rephrase it, but it says that when they were all, you just go to the priest, and there you confess your sins. But he was saying, no, the life of a Christian and the heart of a Christian is one of 
constant. It's a spirit of repentance that comes out. So that when we sin, and then we know that we've sinned, we say, Lord, have mercy upon me, I'm a sinner. And then what do we do? We look unto Christ, who took our sins upon Himself. His righteousness for our sins, the great exchange. He gives us righteousness, we give Him our sins. So with that in mind, we take the Lord's Supper this morning. And hopefully today, we can grow a little bit in our sanctification, and Christ can be more beautiful as we remember the Lord's Supper this morning. Let's take a moment in silence and just think about this, these words, and then I'll lead us in our time together. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove. You can also join us at...